Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithla Day. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? Doing better. I came away from Los Angeles with a case of COVID. So it's been 10 days of trying to uh, recover from that. Uh, in fact, the um, my Southwest Airlines flight was canceled, so I was still on this the spot for about you know the the holiday bowl tickets and uh, other stuff that I had purchased independently. So I drove down and then uh, managed to get uh, COVID uh, that really hit me on New Year's Day when I was driving back. So you know, I drove a thousand miles with raging COVID and it was not fun, but I'm doing yeah. better. Yeah. Look, that was a real stupid decision. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, like, I, I didn't really have a choice, you know, I had to get yeah, back you home. did. <laughs> <laughs> you had to get back home to what? Not go into the office. Cause you had COVID <laughs> like, Oh no. Um, um, you know, we've got some animals and that kind of stuff that, uh, needed detention so you uh abandon your family for five days to go watch football well yeah yeah i, I, I mean I'm, you're, my, I'm, I'm, I'm standing up and saluting <laughs> you man like that's the american dream you know yeah well um um yeah i wasn't feeling too well but uh i would stop about every hour, hour and a half and just rest up and, you know, push through. I'm impressed that you didn't, you know, I do not love driving over the Siskiyous in the winter and you did it while you were sick. Like that that can't have been fun. The Siskiyous weren't the problem. It was central California. Really? And and, uh, because of the rain, it was just torrential rain when I was going down on I-5 to Los Angeles and San Diego. And then, uh, I came back up 101, and uh, it was this kind of brutal driving a, at night in the rain. 
I, I, I love the one-on-one in, in California. Um, well in Oregon too, um, the, the coast drive is super pretty, but it's, uh, I wouldn't want to do that in the rain. I wouldn't want to do that in the rain. I wouldn't want to do the Siskiyous in the winter. Like I wouldn't want to do any of it while I was sick. Uh, yeah, no, this, uh, this must've been a hell of a football game to make it all worth it. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the Siskiyous and, um, the passes uh, just north of Grants Pass weren't too bad. It, it was dry, and there it was uh, New Year's Day, so there wasn't a whole lot of truck traffic. And in, invariably, when I'm driving it, once night, we're we're all drunk, like because it's New Year's, <laughs> it's like our national holiday celebrating being hungover. Like, yeah. And you thought I should get on the road? <laughs> I should get on the road in the rain and go over the pass. Because I got yeah. dogs to feed and I don't got no yeah. neighbors who can do it. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Well, it it uh, the Oregon part of it, the Siskiyous wasn't too bad. It was, uh, you know, and California has just been getting continually slammed with storms. So, you know, it was yeah. uh, experiencing the leading edge of that. Uh, did the rain affect the football game at all? It didn't look like it was rainy on the no. the television screen. No, it, it wasn't raining that day. Hmm. So uh, it was a good game, though. Yeah how, yeah, how 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 did it feel being at the game? Um, that's my first time at Petco uh, Park. It's uh, obviously a baseball stadium for mm-hmm. the San Diego Padres, uh, but we were up in section three eighteen, you know, almost nosebleed seats. But uh, I was impressed with how it it felt like we were on top of the field. We were lined up with about the 35-yard line, and uh, you, you didn't need binoculars or anything to see what was going on. Um, it was really impressive. It kind of you, reminded me of, of Autzen, where you know, there is not a bad seat in that park. Uh, yeah, I've um, I've actually been out to every one of the Pac-12 stadiums, except for Martin Stadium, where Wazoo plays. I, I'm That's like my <laughs> white... Well, it's just like, why would you go there? You know, really? But, um, uh, but yeah, that's my white whale. Um, but uh, other than that, yeah, I've been to every park in the Pac-12 and like, look, man, Austin just better than all of them. Like, th- there are a couple that are sort of like, uh, glitzy isn't the right word because football stadiums, even like, you know, modern refurbished football stadiums like Stanford and Washington have like very like, um, yeah, they're clearly like recently either constructed or you know refurbished or whatever, and it's sort of like yeah, yeah, uh, you know it's it they're it's cool and and I think that's what the beeves are shooting for. You know, they tore down half of Reeser um, to 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 make an even more fabulous high school stadium, I guess, uh, <laughs> and the, the Potato Salad Palace. Um, but like. No, that just the the, the 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 angles at Autzen, like you just you can't beat it. Like I say that I think with some authority, and not just as a Ducks fan. Like I mean, I, I the the Rose Bowl is sort of magical, but it's a bowl. Like it's really like there are bad seats in the Rose Bowl where you can't see the stadium. For, you know, you need binoculars, right? right? Yeah, and um, and when I was at the twenty ten Rose Bowl, um, uh, that's exactly what you needed. We, we were at the. Uh, at the end zone and you, you really needed to supplement seeing with binoculars or something telescope web telescope because um, uh, yeah it's really easy to lose everything that's on the field yeah. you're that far away and 
And then the other thing I'll say is the Arizona stadium is just a shithole. Like uh, that was, uh, it's it's an uh, it's an ugly stadium. There's lots of bad seats, and like they've not put any money into that at all. It's just gross. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Austin uh, is great. Uh, who 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 could doubt that? Um, and yeah, I've I've actually seen. Um, a couple of football games played at baseball stadiums um, and a bunch of baseball games played at baseball stadiums. And yeah, like the verticality of it is really nice. Like the, the giant giant stadium in, in, um, in San Francisco uh, is like, it feels like you're in the Roman Coliseum, like the way that it's just like, it's almost like straight up and like, you know, even if you're, you're like a couple decks up, if you're on top of home plate, you're like on top of home plate. Like, it's, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I kind of Candlestick Park was a hellhole, man. That, that was a, uh, uh, not an ideal place to watch a Giants game. Um, did, uh, uh, well, so two questions about the game, uh, since you were there in person. Number one, like the turf on the, on the TV screen looked like in rough shape. And I thought I, you know, when I was doing film study to write up my article, I thought I detected a couple of plays in which like turf quality affected the play. Did that like you were there in person? Like, what did you see? Uh, yeah, the, the turf wasn't ideal on the South side. Um, you know, right there between say the 15 and the 30 yard lines. And, uh, in between all breaks, when the TV was on commercial, there was groundkeepers trying to work that. And really, yeah, what were they it, doing? Happen? Oh, they they were putting in, um, throwing on pellets, and you know, doing um, patchwork to the uh, texture of the turf as best they could. Uh, did any like exciting plays happen right in front of you? Hmm. No, no, not really. I mean, it was midfield, so it, you know, my idea of an exciting play is more like uh, um, when you're by an end zone and you catch the pass reception or you know something like seeing uh, Kenny Wheaton bring the pick back to the student section way back when. But the, um, but the nice thing about being uh, at the game and it, it's the same with duck games at Otson is that um, I'm not beholden to the TV to show me what's going on. And sure. I, I can really see in the fourth quarter, you know, with Bucky Irving, what the, what the line was doing and what he was doing to, you know, create those plays. And that's it, it, a lot of fun. Well, it was definitely, you know, yet another dominant rushing performance, you know, by the Ducks. Uh, it, it, uh, I'm going to be sad to see some of those offensive linemen go. Um, although pretty optimistic about the future of Oregon's offensive line. Um, but yeah, like that's, you know, my opinion of the game was that it was, you know, on offense, it was sort of, uh, well, I, I think they probably, their, their strategy going into the game and without, Kenny Dillingham um, was that like the only way that North Carolina was going to win this game was Drake May because he's just he's like that that dude is going to win the Heisman. Um, mm -hmm. He arguably deserved it this year. Um, 
And, uh, and I think they figured that, you know, just like other teams that they played, um, during the season in which like this team sucks, except they have a phenomenal quarterback and a great passing game. Like we need to run the ball, slow it down, not score too fast, manage the clock, you know, kind of, you know, play some ball control. And so, uh, you know, Oregon running the ball that effectively as you allude to, um, yeah, like that wasn't a surprise at all. I think that it was also a game in which um, they sort of like they took that strategy a little too far in terms of the short passing game. Like, I I think that they sort of deliberately didn't want to throw the ball deep because for much of the game, because like that would defeat their purpose, right? Like if they, you know, if they're trying to keep the ball away from Drake may then like scoring in three plays by hitting some deep shots, you know, it does not serve that goal. Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, you know, but but then the crazy interception happens, right? Which like reverses the, everything about the game, right? Because that because that um, happens while they are doing one of the Oregon patented close out the first half with a touchdown drive, you know. And instead, rather than scoring a touchdown themselves, they they give turn the ball over. You know, North Carolina gets a short field; they score in one play. And now, rather than you know being up. Uh, you know, now they're down, you know, it's a 14 point swing. Right. right. And, um, and, and, and then, the, you know, Oregon comes out in the second half and they're still going with the ball control strategy, even though the defense is doing a pretty good job. I thought against, uh, you know, North Carolina's offense, um, they were still, it still looked like they were sticking with the game plan of like, Oh, we're terrified of Drake may, we can't let him throw the ball. Um, and, and like we were, they were sticking with the, like the short throw stuff. And I, you know, a lot of people I think put it down to, I swear there's a question coming up here for you. Um, a, a lot of people put down Oregon's passing performance in much of the game to Bo Nix not being at a hundred percent. Um, but I think that that was less of a part of it and more that it was a strategic decision, a strategic game plan that they clung to too late, you know, for, for too much of the game. And that they should have gone to, OK, Bo Nix, you know, do Bo Nix things, please. Like, go, you know, throw the ball deep, get us a lead, and then we can lock it down. And that was probably a strategic, you know, error. Um, but the idea that like Bo Nix wasn't healthy enough to throw it deep was obviously not true because that's what they did in the final two drives to win the game. So here's right. my question and they, for and they, you. And they weren't, you were, a, they weren't okay. afraid to um, run Bo Nix, especially in the second half on sun design plays. Yeah. And uh, he looked like he was running okay to me. I think they were just being extra cautious with him. I, I think they were being extra cautious. I did notice on a few, you know, he took a few bootlegs in which I think he looked good. I, I've heard other dot commentators say that he didn't look at, you know, as good on his rollouts. I couldn't detect such a thing, but at the very least, his ability to like plant in the pocket and uh, throw, throw the deep ball. Like, yes, it was absent for the first, you know, seven or whatever it was, meaningful drives of the game. But then it was, you know, and so therefore Duck fans sort of latched onto, oh, he must not be healthy. He must not be healthy enough to throw the deep ball. But then I think the lie was put to that when in the final two drives, he definitely was. He was throwing, you know, patented low bone nicks laser beams. Mm-hmm. And and they, you know, they did that to win the game. And everybody was like very celebrating, but they weren't like going back and reexamining their theories. And my job is to go back and reexamine theories. And my conclusion was that this was a strategic decision, not 
you know, necessarily a limitation on Bonix's health. I swear to God, here's the question, which is you were there in person. You were, you know, you got to see, you know, up close and personal what Nix looked like. Did he look like uh, he was hurt to you? Did he look like his like throwing motion or whatever, you know, was impaired by his earlier injury? No. And I, I think uh, your film study would uh, tend to bear that out. And, you know, especially on um, how you talk about him as uh, throwing motions and that kind of stuff uh, late in the game yep, to come back and win it. Uh, he may not have been uh, 100%, but yeah, he looked 90 or 95% to me. He, mm-hmm. it, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the injured Bo Nix that we saw in the last couple of games of the season. Yep. He, he looked comfortable, and uh, I, don't think, uh, I, I don't think he was being hampered by his previous injury. Um, uh, I'm with you. That I think it was a strategic decision, and and yeah, you know, they were just trying to keep him as healthy as possible and get away with it. Did you? Uh, you went to a game in person in Autzen earlier in the year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eastern Washington. Um, what did you, if anything, see that was different between your two in-person game experiences with the Ducks? I didn't really see uh, a whole lot different. Um, we've gotten um, a really good uh, performance from Bo Nix this season. Mm-hmm. and He's literally the it, most accurate quarterback in college football this year. His, yeah. his, he, his completion rate was, I believe, 71.3%, which is literally number one in the country. Yeah, and it's it, it's incredible to watch in person. And, and that's I, I did with, see, you know the last couple of games during the regular season in which clearly he was throwing some pretty inaccurate passes as a result yeah. of his injury. Like imagine, you know, it would probably be closer to seventy four percent, you know, if he if mm-hmm. he weren't injured. I mean, just his accuracy was flipping incredible. Yeah, and he he showed that, uh, of course, late in the game of the Holiday Bowl, but you know through the succession of regular season games, uh, we didn't really see any of the bad Bo Nicks. And, boy, you can't say enough about Oregon's offensive line for contributing to that because he was very seldom ever touched. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, North Carolina probably wasn't going to do that much, although they did get one sack in this game, which is kind of like it it was exactly the guy who I predicted would get a sack, um, but it was still sort of shocking. And he beat TJ Bass, too, which was just like weird. Um, But, you know, whatever it uh, fluky stuff happens Um, in that game. I mean, hell, if, if the crazy interception that bounces off of two different dudes legs didn't happen, that that sack would have been the one that I would be writing about as like, this was the weirdest thing. Um, <laughs> but then yeah. an extraordinarily yeah. weird thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The weird things here. Hold my beer. So uh, what else about your trip to San Diego? Uh, did, did you well, have I was- the time? To do I was kind of surprised. Of uh, yeah, I did some other stuff. I was kind of surprised at the crowd makeup there at yeah. Petco Stadium because I I did talk with some uh, Ducks fans and some North Carolina fans, but virtually all of them 
were not from Oregon or North Carolina. I talked with a, a North Carolina fan who lived in San Diego. He was stationed in North Carolina, so hmm. he was there to see the Tar Heels. And then I, I talked with uh, another couple of guys in their uh, oh, uh, upper 50s, early 60s. Um, they lived in Glendale, Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know, one was uh, a Beaver alumni and the other was a uh, Ducks alumni. And so they went to see it because it was only five and a half hour drive from, uh, from where they were at in Arizona. And so, not through a mountain pass, right? Yes, <laughs> exactly so. Um, but you didn't have time and, to do anything else, right? You didn't go to Legoland or Z World or anything like that. Oh no, I, I did some uh, other stuff as well. I was. Uh, it, it was just kind of funny that um, what the what the San Diego Padres do is that as part of their season ticket package. Um, they comp for the holiday bowl. Hmm. So there was an enormous number of fans there that were just San Diego Padres fans there to see hmm. a football game. Uh, did, uh, how would you say the divide went among the locals between ducks and Tar Heels? Uh, it was pretty much 50, 50. Hmm. Uh, I talked with, you know, fans uh, of both and, and then there was uh, other fans who were, who really didn't have any kind of vested interest in who won. They just wanted to see a football game. Well, one point win, uh, you know, certainly exciting. Um, yeah. Certainly a hell of a finish. Uh, interestingly enough, all three of Oregon's last three bowl wins have been by a single point, um, right? The, the Michigan State game in 2018 was 7-6, to six, and then the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. Although that one's sort of an asterisk. Oregon took a knee on the goal line. You know, that could have been an eight-point win if they wanted to push mm-hmm. it, but, you know, they didn't. And then, the, you know, this game, of course, um, in which yeah. Camden Lewis – clangs it in for the win <laughs> i mean how was that yeah. was your you saw that in person where were oh, yeah. you where were you at on that play um i was on i was lined up on the opposite 35 yard line so he's he's off to my right and mm-hmm. boy you know you uh, heart skipped uh, just a moment when you saw, hit the upright and then kind of you know wonked in so, okay, we'll take it. Going home. <laughs> did you think that the the crowd was partisan for one team or the other? Or did you feel it was pretty fifty fifty? Um, I think that, uh, especially from where I was at, there was a a lot more in the way of of duck fans. The duck fans were uh, really noisy mm-hmm. when when North Carolina had the ball, and I didn't hear that as much when. Oregon was on offense. So, you know, the, the Duck faithful bring their yelling and their, their voices. And, you know, when you're, it's like, like Hudson, you know, when you're on top of the field like that, you can be yelling and you know, they're hearing you. Uh, would you recommend this experience if you had to do it all over again? Like if you could get in a time machine and go back and tell your younger self, whether to go to this or not, what would you say? Oh yeah, yeah. If, if the ducks go to the Holiday Bowl again in the future, if it's at Petco Park, I'm there. Uh, I'm going. All right, so let's take a break. It, it was a fantastic game experience. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. 
when we come back from the break, uh, we'll talk about your recent article um, about Ducks who've chose to return to the football team. Okay, so today, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday evening, uh, um, you published an article about, uh, let, me, let me make sure I get this straight, all the Ducks who could have left for the NFL because they were draft eligible because they'd been there for at least three or been in college play for at least three years, um, but have elected to uh, return uh, you know, not transfer out or retire or, you know, declare for the NFL. And it was a pretty long list. Um, and, and it's a pretty long list, even excluding guys who, um, you know, didn't really get a whole lot of play, like, um, you know, j- just the guys who, uh, um, got substantial minutes, um, and who were eligible to leave, who probably would have been, uh, eagerly, uh, uh, you know, picked up had they gone to the transfer portal, but instead decided to stay with Oregon. Um, uh, you know, overall, you know, you wrote this article, how did you feel about, uh, you know, how many guys you were writing about? Um, well, the, uh, wasn't entirely surprised, um, given who's already entered the transfer portal and and mind you, you know, we're, we're going to see some more movement between now or, you know, shortly after signing day. Yeah. Um, Cause we, we have too many scholarship players. Well, yeah, but like almost, I think they can almost like not quite, but they can almost hit the number that they need to with guys that basically you didn't write about because they didn't get a whole lot of playing time this year, you know? Yeah. Uh, th- yeah. Probably at least one of the guys that you wrote about will wind up leaving simply because it's not quite enough. But like, um, but it's still yeah, I don't it's a, think, I, I it's don't a think long it's gonna be, list. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be any of the the major players at this point. You know, Bo Nix is coming back, uh, Dorless is coming back, Popo's coming back, Casey Rogers is coming back, uh, Stephen Jones. Yep the 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 ones that are. Um, coming back are, you know, they're significant for um, building a, on the 2023 season. And, um, you know, I mean, it started with, with Bo Nix. That was a, a surprise decision to me that, that he would be back for 2023. Well, it's definitely a vote of confidence in, you know, Dan Lanning and, um, and, you know, they have a, 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 you know, offensive coordinator turnover, you know, they, they brought in Will Stein. Most of these guys don't know who Will Stein is. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they almost certainly, you know, had some sort of, you know, meeting or whatever, uh, you know, Stein wasn't coaching in UTSA's bowl game. He must've been in Eugene and part of the recruiting process. And like, I imagine that involved player meetings and like, that's, you know, uh, I, I interpret it as a, as a vote of confidence that so many offensive players who were like key contributors were, you know, and, and would have been valuable commodities on the transfer market. You know, that's the other thing yeah. is that like, you know, Oregon had, you know, a top five offense. Um, anybody who was a major contributor to that offense, uh, you know, and we're mostly talking about four stars, you know, so even if they weren't, they'd be valuable, but they were in a high flying offense and they have a new offensive coordinator. Like those, you know, a lot of these dudes are prime candidates to transfer out and they, they didn't like, I mean, yeah. it's actually kind of remarkable. Yeah, so the, almost, the only re- 
The only real Almost. losses on the offense were Maliki Madavow, Dante Thornton, and then mm-hmm. shockingly Cam McCormick. Um, although you know, yeah. if I were in or if I were at the University of Oregon for like eight years, the way that he's been, <laughs> yeah. I might want to you know have a change of scenery too, just for like yeah. checking out a different program. <laughs> That's right. You're signing up for Medicare next year. Yeah. Right. Um. But it, it's kind of interesting that the uh, correct me if I'm wrong the the um, players that have entered the portal thus far are are not players that Lanning recruited. Is that correct? Ooh, well, let me think about that. Um, I think you're. I think you're correct. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Um, I don't think he, well, I mean, recruited or brought through the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. They're all crystal ball guys. Um, or in the case of Cam, or like Mark Helfrich <laughs> guy. Helfrich. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Um, yeah. So the, um, you know, the, the people that, the players that we were talking about that have entered the portal so far, um, uh, you can suggest that they're not landing guys. And so, um, you know, all of them, you know, to a player, uh, I hope find uh, a more rewarding collegiate career where, wherever they're going. Um, but, you know, landing and company uh, definitely have uh, a certain, um, certain player in mind and not all the players he, he inherited um, fit uh, what he has in mind. Well, and, and, you know, the position where that's most obvious is on um, defense um, where uh, the outside linebacker position, you know, which, you know, just turned out to be a real disappointment, you know, for, for Oregon, uh, you know, the inside linebackers, you know, as well, but they're bringing back Vasa and Brown, who sort of makes sense, you know, given the the way that landing, you know, structures, you know, the way that the mint front works is they really want the linebackers to not have to have to be involved in run stopping. They want them to, like, be able to back out and play the pass. And so, like, big thumpers like Sewell and Flo, um, you know, those were th- those are probably guys that Lanning wouldn't have recruited if he were around in 2020. They simply, you know, aren't really, you know, part of his scheme, which is, you know, bigger bodies in the defensive line so that those guys can stop the run, um, you know, or at least slow it down and give, you know, the, the smaller, you know, ILBs that he prefers and safeties, you know, to come down. You know, that's what a spill and kill philosophy is about. Um yeah, we scored. We scored um, Lanning's um, recruits from last season's transfer portal pretty highly, and you know, the, come the spring, I suppose we'll have to have another conversation about that because he he's picking up some interesting pieces from the transfer portal. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, but like outside linebacker. Like, I mean, Mace Funa returned, and you wrote about him in, in your article, um, mm-hmm. and and at the Holiday Bowl, at which you were present, uh, won defensive MVP. Um, but, like, that's it. 
I, I mean, literally the other six guys who were returners, not the true freshmen, um, uh, uh, Marion Winston and Anthony Jones, um, the, the, who were 2022 true freshmen and therefore landing recruits, as you say, um, or at least landing's got his fingerprints on them. But all the crystal ball guys, except for Funa, um, Swinson, DJ Johnson, Terrell Tillman, Brandon Buckner, Jabril McNeil, Jaden Navarrete, all six of those dudes have transferred out. Um, you know, so this was a room that had seven returning players. Well, six Tillman switched over to be a tight end, but you know, mm-hmm. at any rate, he transferred out. Uh, but you know, going into the season had seven returning guys, um, and six of them transferred out. Uh, and you know, it was fairly clear why, because in this defensive structure, the OLB is the pass rusher. Oregon didn't have a pass rush. If these guys weren't getting on the field, with Oregon's pass rush, like, you know, mm-hmm. what are you, what are you doing? Um, and, and so like, I mean, cleaning house isn't the right word because that that's, that's a demeaning term. And I, it's not a, you know, like these guys just didn't really fit, you know, in, in Lanning's defense. And, um, I think, you know, in the, in my opinion, in the context of modern college football being unsentimental, is a virtue. Um, you know, I see program, you know, cause I maintain player databases for a whole bunch of teams, the entire PAC 12, a lot of Oregon's at a conference opponents. Um, and there are times and, and in order to construct a roster database, I have to go back in time, like five years to track all of the movements, you know, ins and outs. Like, why did you get that guy? Oh, it's cause you lost these two guys and you need to replace him. And that's why his talent level is lower than your average, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I got to figure all that stuff out. Um, and I detect it's speculation, but I, you know, it's well founded. Um, I detect in some coaches a, a sense of sentimentality. You know, like, oh, we we got to keep this guy. Like, I, I my heart goes out to him or whatever. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't get that out of landing at all. Like, it's if you're not seeing the field by the end of year two, like you're that's it. You, you know, we need your spot um, for somebody else. Uh, and um, and you definitely see that, you know, in some of the movement on the defense. On the other hand, guys who really performed for him, like he really seemed like he went to bat. Like Casey Rogers, for example, was a guy who definitely he either could have gone pro or could have transferred. You know, uh, you know, he would have been in high demand and uh, and Landon got him to come back um, into yep. a crowded room. Like it's Oregon returns everybody who played except for uh, Jordan Riley because he ran out of eligibility. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, returns Taki Taimani as you write, wrote about returns, Brandon Doralis, who'd already, you know, declared rec- returns, Keanu Ware Hudson returns, Keanu Williams. Um, uh, at this point, guys who didn't really play that much, but like could still return. Uh, you didn't write about these guys. Um, we talked mm-hmm. about it a bit before you published your article, but there's four other, you know, defensive fist down defensive linemen, uh, 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 Trevin Mai, um, um, Masail Afiasi, Suava Poti, Jake Shipley. Like we only saw those guys a little bit. I sort of think maybe they're going to wind up transferring out. Uh, they're sort of some of the guys that I was alluding to earlier about how Oregon can still make its scholarship cap um by by you know having some guys who didn't play that much uh transfer out i sort of had those four dudes in mind but they still haven't declared yet um so like it's a 
big room, you know, uh, of dudes who are returning plus guys who didn't um, play, but you were coming back online like Pope Amavai, who's declared he's coming back. He got his uh, waiver. Um, and then the, the true freshmen that they brought in and, and no reason to think are going anywhere. Sir Mel's and Ben, Ben Roberts. So like, it's a really full room and Casey Rogers would have been pretty highly in demand on the transfer market. And yet, what does he do? You know, he declares he's coming back and good for yeah. him, you know? Yeah. And he had a, he had a, um, really good season this last season. Hell, he had and, a really great and, holiday bowl. You got to watch him in person. Right. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, especially at the, the bookends. Um, but yeah, you know, he was, he was, um, one of those, it, well, almost all of our, the transfer portal players, um, before the 2022 season were just home runs. And uh, you might've had, you might've had, uh, some question. Um, I mean, you, you, you knew what you were getting with Caleb Chapman. All right. So, yeah, you knew that there was an injury concern there, but, but that's, but I mean, he's it in terms of the, 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 the dudes that Lanning brought in, um, they all played uh, other than Chapman. They all played and they all played well. And I mean, there's a bit of a tautology there, you know, landing brought him in. So of course they played. Um, but like the numbers, uh, the numbers don't lie. Onyx was a great quarterback, you know, Bucky Irving, no Whittington were great running backs. Um, uh, 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 Chase Coda, uh, was a great wide receiver, you know, for the ducks. Uh, um, you know, Chapman, as we say, didn't play. Um, but Taimani and Riley and Rogers uh, were great mm-hmm. on the defensive line, um, uh, and, uh, and and uh, and obviously Christian Gonzalez uh, was phenomenal as a cornerback. You know, like yeah. I mean, every one of those guys that he got to transfer in were home runs. You know, like or eight out of nine or, or whatever the number is. Like you know, with with one guy being an injury guy who could still turn out to be you know a home run. You know, sort of like a TBD uh, kind of deal. Like you know, my stars. <laughs> yeah. You know. And like, I didn't have, to, I don't have to inflate any of those guys' numbers. I'm not talking anybody up. You know, he got playing time, but he didn't really deserve to be there. That's not true. That's not even remotely true. Every single yeah. one of those guys, you know, let, let me go through them again. Christian Gonzalez, uh, uh, Taki Taimani, Casey Rogers, Jordan Riley, uh, 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 Chase Coda, uh, Bucky uh, Irving, Noah Whittington, Bo Nix, like way to go dan every one of those guys <laughs> yeah. is a winner you know like and, and so you know he, the, this roster turn, turnover that he's engaged in right now in which he's bringing all, you know a ton of dudes um like i he gets the benefit of the doubt uh for me to you know in terms of like ability to identify both portal and prep recruit talent you know who can contribute right away like you know he's got the or his staff uh you know they, they got the eye uh it's probably marshall malcow is probably the you know the the, the most important you know, non on field coaching figure when it comes to, you know, recruiting and, you know, portal acquisitions, but like, you know, not a, not a bust on the list. I mean, no. and uh, you know, you can't say that like, again, I watched the entire pack 12 can't say that about the entire pack 12. There is a no. bunch of players like you, UCLA, for example, constructed their, I believe their entire starting front seven 
were transfers of whom I think two of them were good players um, for him. And a bunch of them just totally got exposed. It was hilarious reading UCLA fan material who was like, why is our G5, you know, inside linebacker who totally took over camp practices? Like all the reports that we got out of the Bruin report online, folks, about camp practices were that this guy was just totally running practices. And then why did he suck when he took the fields? Like, dude, you can't put two and two together. You know, like it's yeah. because, you know, because of because everybody else on your team sucks you know that's in the one land of the blind the one-eyed man is king and uh and y'all have a real hard time telling when you're just looking at a one-eyed man like uh and and you know not not the case for Oregon is I guess where I'm going with this and it's it's easy for coaches to talk themselves into the transfer that they're able to get and therefore play because now his you know, he, he's got skin in the game, right? You know, like I brought you here, so you better, and you're a transfer. I'm not redshirting you. You're playing right away. And then he stinks, and they're like, oh, no, what do I do about this kid who stinks? Dan Lanning didn't encounter that problem. No, and it doesn't look like he's going to be encountering uh, the problem with the upcoming uh, transfer portals. You know, mind you, he's, he's not done with what he's doing, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a, a lot to talk about over the summer. Um, but let me ask you a question because uh, Oregon picked up uh, um, a Sun Devils linebacker. I, I had a days. feeling you were going to ask about him. Yeah, that one yeah. has a head scratcher for me. Like, I don't, I mean, I think I understand it's sort of like what I was talking earlier about um, the, the structure of this defense. They want the linebackers to be the primo skill in this defensive structure for linebackers is pass coverage. It's not run stopping. And that's, you know, a reversal from Mario Cristobal's defensive coordinators. Um, um, and, and also sort of just, philosophically the mint front the idea is just the run can't hurt you that much in modern college football and if you got to sacrifice something in order to patch up the thing that you know like you only get 11 players on the field and you have to make some strategic decisions about where you're gonna you know get thick and where you're gonna get thin in terms of your armor and basically the the, the philosophy is it's okay to have thinnish armor um, for for inside run stopping because it just can't hurt you that bad in modern modern college football and also playing in the Pac-12 where you got these offensive lines um, and versus Oregon's defensive lines like yeah stopping those guys with just four uh, yeah that'll work just fine um, so like Soleil who's definitely he's built he's a, definitely a tweener. Um, he's definitely built more like a safety. I, I, he's a quick kid. And so I sort of got it within the philosophy of Lanning's defensive front. So it's like, okay, that's the, you know, like, you know, he wants Jeff bosses, not Noah Sewell's, you know, if you're looking at body types. And so Soleil sort of makes sense, you know, within that, on the other hand, on the other hand, I've been watching ASU's film for a long time and like, I, I'm not impressed with either he or his brother i thought there were obvious you know talent limitations he has to guess he's one of these dudes who like he he needs to he needs to diagnose the play pre-snap and start moving before the ball is snapped um or as the ball is being snapped um in order to get to the play on time which like that's cool if you can do that on the other hand like i i'm not you know what if you're wrong um 
and uh but the, uh, on the other, but then back on the first hand i've now said on the other hand twice in two different <laughs> contexts sorry about that mixing metaphors um back on the first hand though the thing about asu's defense is they've gone through three different defensive structures in four years um uh, you know, Herm cleared out uh, their coaching staff at the end of the 2018 season and replaced it with uh, Antonio Pierce, who switched him from a three, uh, you know, Danny Gonzalez three down structure to to Pierce's four down structure because he, I mean, that was the structure he played in as a linebacker in the NFL. It's probably all he knows. Um, and then you know, Pierce gets shit canned because you know he's cheating or is alleged to have been cheating. Uh, anyway, I'm not sure the NCAA is coming down on that but he definitely got shit canned um and uh and so their defensive structure under the new guy has been it's still a four down front but it's it's the linebackers are used differently so like you know they've got some linebackers there who were recruited you know three systems ago so like i definitely think with their defensive front that you sort of have to take anybody's performance within it with a grain of salt um so i don't a hundred percent like trust my eyes on connor soleil um but what my eyes say is like I don't really think that's a duck caliber player. So yeah, I was confused about that one, uh, but I guess we'll find out. Lanning hadn't missed yet. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out this yeah. summer uh, along with a uh, you know, bunch of others that are coming on board. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about little women's hoops. So uh, let's talk a little women's hoops. Um, the the ducks have uh, opened up conference play um well actually they their real opener of conference play was a singleton uh, against Oregon State which they won a pretty exciting game uh, but then they went back to playing uh you know a bunch of uh, out of conference games um you know they uh, they beat Arkansas in a pretty good game they uh they got uh beat pretty soundly by number 3 Ohio State that team looks like they might be able to go the entire uh you know, go the whole way. Um, then uh, return to conference play. They they lost to UCLA in a game where I thought that UCLA was just shooting way better um, than the Ducks were. Um, beat USC, which is a decent team, but not a great team. Um, same thing, you know, Arizona State just sort of emphatically ran them off their own court. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, and then most recently on Sunday, lost to number 15 in Arizona. Um, you know, all of Oregon's losses have been to ranked teams. Um, I would sure like to see them, you know, put the hammer down on, uh, uh, you know, some, you know, I, I really thought that Arizona game was a winnable game. Um, and they sort of faded down the stretch, you know? Yeah, they did. And, um, I think there's a couple of factors that are present, um, one is that, you know, with having lost uh, Sedona Prince for the season and having genocide enter the transfer portal, um, you have uh, another player, Hurst, that's um, injured. And then um, late in the game, uh, Grace Van Sluten, it, you know, comes off right. the court. With a, she, a she's simultaneously injuries. Oregon's leading scorer in that game, and yeah, she's really limping. Yeah, and uh, they can't really afford uh, any more injuries. 
to yeah. anybody. So th- I think that was uh, uh, a factor in the game. Also, Arizona was playing really physical. Uh, yeah, they were. You know, they they uh, you know they, they took the ball away a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, they were fast. Um, I'm I'm not sure why. Uh, I could see that that Arizona defender is going to jump on that pass, but uh, the Ducks sure didn't, you know, to the tune of 20 turnovers. And you're not going to win against a a ranked team. Yeah, right. I I mean, it's sort of, you know, their per per shot numbers aren't bad, but the problem is, you know, the steals would happen before they'd even have a chance to take a shot, which means they were coming away with empty possessions, you know, and, uh, and yeah, a lot of them, you know, there were a bunch where I think the Arizona was playing, as you say, fairly physical. In fact, I, I think if this game were played any other place than Tucson, um, the, you know, the, there probably be a lot more free throw shot in this game, uh, than just nine. Uh, you, you generally don't see the number of steals from a very steel hungry team like Arizona and, and the opponent not go to the charity stripe a lot more often. Um, that's sort of incongruous. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, at any rate, like the, just the, the, the number of takeaways, um, you know, definitely it simply limited Oregon's opportunities to score. Um, even when they were shooting fairly well, Arizona, on the other hand, was just like, I mean, that, that was, I mean, they shot 50% from beyond the arc. Uh, that yeah. was going into that game. This was one of the worst teams in NCAA basketball at three point shooting. So of course they go on, you know, they light on fire playing the ducks. Um, and they weren't. Uh, a, they haven't been uh, traditionally a very good uh, free throw shooting team, but yeah, darn if they don't go fifteen for nineteen. Yeah, right. Um, and, and shoot ten more free throws than the Ducks did, um, while getting ten more steals. So you know, uh, who knows on that question? Um, there and and then the other thing, I don't know. Like I, I, I like Filipina Che, you know, quite a bit. Um, I. It, Oregon's not sending her to the key to get offensive rebounds. Like the number of offensive rebounds in this game was pathetic. Uh, and you know, so, so, so Oregon's not getting first chance opportunities because they're getting the ball stolen from them. And then they're not getting second chance opportunities, uh, you know, because they're not getting offensive rebounds. And, uh, and I thought that was, you know, sort of structural. Like I think, think the way they play Che is too timid and, uh, and then I, I'm not sure why Chance Gray is on the floor. Uh, what do you think about Chance Gray? Chance Gray um, is a, a really good defender. And mm. uh, that's something that doesn't show up uh, in the statistics, you know, in a tangible fashion. It's kind of like a Elise Hurst where, where the, the uh, offensive production – may not necessarily show um, their value in, in defense. Um, Gray is, it, if Gray can get fouls and get to the line, you know, she and uh, India Rogers are, you know, they're, they're almost there every time with free throw shooting. Um, you know, Gray was uh, two for two on free throw shots but you know she only went to the line once so um and i think that 
she and uh, Papo and Hanson been... like Arizona had like some some pretty decent size advantages inside, you know, and, and it was like yeah. Rogers versus the Arizona defense, like they weren't pushing her inside. Pow Pow actually, I, I was actually kind of I thought this was one of Pow Pow's best games, um, and that she was like pretty fearless going inside. That that's not Rogers' game, you know. She's a I don't know. I I, I thought that um, I would have liked to see her her taking more perimeter shots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she was definitely not getting inside against Arizona's defense. Um, and, yeah. uh, and I, I don't know. It would have been nice to put Arizona in more foul trouble. Like uh, that's sort of what I'm alluding to here. Uh, I'm not saying that the refs were like conspiring or anything. It was just like, you know, they needed to get like Oregon's best scoring runs in this game were runs in which Arizona was worried a little bit about foul trouble and went small. And that's when, you know, Rogers and pow pow and some of the, you know, the not enormous players on the team were getting their shots in. Uh, and it's like, you need to keep up the foul pressure sure you know like you need to be you know and, and that's sort of where you know again i think <clears throat> i <clears throat> i am surprised that oregon's bigs you know van sluten and che are not generating more fouls um what that i'll, I'll stop there what do you think about that yep. uh do, well, do you think i'm right it, do you think i'm wrong do you think i'm yes yeah because um it, it kind of goes hand in hand with um what you alluded to as far as Kay's um, presence for um, recovering uh, offensive rebounds, which, as you say, almost didn't happen. It's because she needs to park it in the key. I don't get it. Like, yeah, and and, and uh, she'd be doing passes at the top of the key, and you know, oh, why is she there? I mean, Graves must have a reason, but um, but if your outside shooting isn't happening. And um, certainly for this game, the, the threes were, were not following in. Um, then it, you have to accommodate that with your size. I mean, you, you have two players, three players that, that are taller than uh, all the other Arizona State, uh, Arizona Wildcat players. So why aren't you using that? Why? why? And I, I, I didn't see it in this game. And. Yeah, I just kind of uh, wonder if they were depending on a better perimeter performance to open things up inside. I, I don't know. It's just kind of a mystery to me. Uh, I mean, they certainly took their shots, you know. Look, they, they took 22 three-point uh, three shots. They made seven of them. That like that clears my threshold. That's, you know, they're, they're making more than a third or about a third. Uh, and, and they're taking an adequate number of three-point shots. I think maybe you're right, you know, against their size, it would have been nice to, to try to open up the perimeter with some three-point shooting. But you know what you don't generate when you're relying on three-point shooting is fouls. You yep, know, exactly. you, the reason why I, I always come back to dribble drives and creating interior pressure is it does you two things. It scores you points, and it puts the opponent in foul trouble. And if you're facing a team that's got a bunch of bigs like Arizona does, like that's how you generate offense. You generate offense with your offense by, uh, you know, putting the opponent into foul trouble. Um, and, you know, so the, 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 the fact that, you know, Oregon hit the charity stripe only nine times, like I, that's a, 
in my opinion, that's either a strategic failure or the refs had it in for the Ducks, and I really don't buy the latter theory. Um, no, because you, you see bad, uh, we see good and bad uh, officiating in any kind of a basketball game. And yeah, there's, there's going to be uh, one, two, maybe a few calls that you're going to quibble with. Um, but it, to me, that in and of itself has never been uh, what caused a game to go one way or the other. You know, there, there's performance factors that that play a far larger part in what the final score was. I also want to just see, like, generally more... I, I, I want to see more regression on the glass um, in terms of rebounds. Um, like, there's a lot where as soon as the shot gets jacked up by either team, I start to see Oregon start falling back. And, like... like like Taylor Hosendove, for example, I think she needs to be getting more playing time. Like she got six rebounds in this game in eight minutes of play. Whereas uh, Van Sluten, Rogers, Pow Pow and Gray, you know, combine for, you know, more than two hours of playing time and they have eight rebounds, you know, between them. Uh, Like, you know, I don't think it's because Hosendove like ate her Wheaties, you know, that morning. I think it's because she's being aggressive on the glass. And I think she ought to be rewarded for that, you know, with more playing time. I, you know, I, I, I'm questioning a lot of, uh, 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 you know, coach, coach decisions, you know, here in terms of play, like, I'm glad that he's, you know, settling in on a starting five, but like, um, I, I, I'm not, I think they're losing these contested games because I'm not sure that this is the best uh, allocation of the talent that he's got. Um, on the other hand, he's got some teams to beat up on, you know, coming up. Uh, you know, they don't play in a yeah. team that's that's uh, ranked, I think, um, until the, you know, almost the very end of the year when they play Arizona again. Uh, or no, they play UCLA in, in mid-February. Um, uh uh, but like, you know, they, they really ought to run through these next couple of teams, Washington, Wazoo, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford. Well, no, they play Stanford. They're not going to run through them. Um, right. But, you know, they, they have four games um, to, to get tuned up on before they, you know, take on Stanford and, and then UCLA uh, a couple of games after that. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's some time for, uh, for experimentation, uh, you know, in, in terms of the, you know, like th- this is another, the, the, the way that Oregon schedule has gone has sort of been, you know, the, there's hard games and then there's lulls for experimentation and there's hard games and there's lulls and like Oregon's looking at another one of these lulls which were where there's time for experimentation. And I think that, you know, what we've been talking about in our conversation here has been like, yeah, they might be able to squeeze out a better allocation of talent, you know? Yeah. And, it, um, Arizona, um, taught the ducks, a little bit of a lesson that, um, needs to be worked out with the, you know, the upcoming, two or three games that are uh, relatively easy. Um, Got to figure out that the turnover and rebounds issue that, that just killed them. There was an interesting stat uh, that they put up during the game that, I, you know, uh, about um, the, 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 maybe the lack of a totally unstoppable juggernaut this year in women's college basketball. Um, you know, basically the, the, they're, 
it was it was the number of time they put up a stat about the number of times that top 10 teams had been upset in the course of the year by teams that were lower ranked and in 2020 it was like one percent of the time it was extremely rare um but uh over the last couple of seasons the number has been growing and it's up to close to nine percent uh now you know in this season and i think that sort of you know in indicates that there's there's a little more distribution of talent uh this season like it's not like you know there there's the absolute elite teams and then a bunch of joke teams like it's a little better you know allocated and so you can't just totally say like oh you can take this game off um you know but you know the the bright side uh, you know the silver lining to that is that you get like serious enough competition that you can get some real data from experimentation in the way that if you're just playing the jv squad like maybe all the data that you get from that is useless data i don't think that'll be true you know for for the next couple of games that oregon plays and so i think they'll be worth watching and and you know especially to see if coach graves you know make some different decisions yeah, and I'll be watching to see uh, how they approach fixing the fundamentals. Yeah, for sure. If we can um, fix some of these problems and have a, a healthy team, you know, maybe this this team's poised for a, a deeper run in the NCAA's than last season's. Because yeah, they're 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 an NCAA NCAA bound team, so yeah there's still time to fix some things. Well, you've got, uh, the women against, uh, Wazoo on Sunday and, uh, and you've also got the men against Arizona state, uh, on Thursday. I'll look forward to both of those articles. Um, I think that'll do it for us this week. Got any parting words, wisdom for us? No, just go ducks. (laughs) Stay healthy. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that goes for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. Take care. Uh, I'll catch you on the flip side.